Good morning, church. It's not the building. It's not the facility. It's you. It's Christ in you. It's the living God living in us that makes us the church. We are the church. Good morning, church. Good morning. Ooh, yes. Yes. Special day, as you heard Brian say, and as we worshiped, to, to remind each other that, you know, the great celebration that is ours and ours alone in the world is that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we have received from God the answer to the Jeremiah promise. When Jeremiah said, I, he spoke to, through Jeremiah and said, I will put my spirit in them and everyone will know me. The solution of God was not that he made better men, better men, and made them follow the law, and they continued to try to follow the law. The solution that God came to and to us and has given to us is, his solution is, I will go live in them. I will live in them. I will put my spirit in them. And that's why Jesus, though he is as much man as I was man, am man, he could say to his disciples, look, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to send you into the uttermost parts of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Sudan, Ghana, El Salvador. I'm going to send you to Vietnam and Cambodia, but I will never leave you. I will be with you always, even to the end of time. You see, Pentecost is the gift of the Spirit. Pentecost is what empowers us to do the work. They were huddled up, 120 of them, in an upper room. They were hiding and afraid. Their, their king had been killed. Their Messiah had been murdered. But he rose and he said, stay put. Don't move. You guys can't do squat without the Holy Spirit. You can do nothing without me. And they waited. And when the, the time was exactly right, when they were of one mind and one spirit and they were in one accord and they were humbling themselves in prayer, suddenly in the room, a mighty wind blew through the room. And tongues of fire came upon each of them. And they became empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Peter the chicken, the runaway liar, became a powerful preacher that day. And he went out into the streets proclaiming, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. He's the Messiah. He is the King and he has risen again. And thousands came to salvation that day. It is the Spirit of God that we need. You see, some of us have become afraid of charismania. Some of us came up in such a way that we go, man, those people that talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, they're kind of weird. You know, they speak in tongues and they do these weird things and they have visions and dreams and they do all these weird things. Hey, we're a Christian solid church. We are an evangelical believing church and we believe the Holy Spirit is the power of God. We believe the Holy Spirit is the essential of God. I was not a Christian until I was 23 years old when I said a surrender prayer and I said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And he placed his spirit within me. I was not born again when I was baptized. I was not born again when I was confirmed. I was born again when I surrendered to Christ and he gave me his spirit. There's no Christianity without the spirit of God. There's no church without the spirit of God. So we hallow him today. We worship him today. Look at Acts chapter 2. We'll go there before Genesis. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at this most critical moment. Let's look at the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus when he said to his boys, don't be afraid. I'm going to send you one just like me. 
He'll comfort you. He'll teach you. He'll instruct you. He'll empower you. And you will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. Don't be afraid. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, that's 50 days after the resurrection, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow, I'm going to leave you right there wanting more, I hope. Read on, read on. Make sure today, tonight, you read again chapter 2 and 3 and see the birth of the church. The birth of the church is right there. And we are the continuation of that story. We are not an organization. We're an organism. We're a living, breathing body. We are the body of Christ filled with the spirit. And the world is waiting to see us come forth like they came out of the upper room. The world is waiting to see a people empowered, with, equipped by the Holy Spirit, born again believers who are walking in the spirit of God and loving compassionately and showing kindness and love and understanding like Jesus did to us as Jesus continues to do to us. Let's pray. Jesus said, wait, look at the scripture. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. Look at the scripture. Jesus said, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That speaks to me. I know I'm imperfect dad. Yet when my kids ask, man, I'm going to bend over backwards to get them what they want, to give to them. And I'm basically of a nature that's evil. How much more will the perfect father of heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? If you're going to say one prayer today, ask that prayer. Ask for a fresh filling of the Spirit. Be refreshed in the Spirit. Be renewed. Come to that new life that Chad's talking about. We're inviting people to new life. And the Bible says we'll need to be refilled and refilled because we get dirty in the world, because we sin and fall. But God is more than willing to give you his Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we ask for a fresh filling of your spirit to lead us, to teach us, to convict us and comfort us as we seek to be your children. And today, Lord, teach us by your word and spirit the truths about who we are and how we are to think and live for your good pleasure. Amen. Amen. Let's, we're going to take a long read now. We're going to read from Genesis 1.26. It'll be on the screens, but I'd love to hear the sound of those pages turning. Oh, that's music to my ears. I don't hear so good. To 2.25, all the way through chapter 2. Let's read together God's word. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed 
that it is on the face of the earth, of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord, plant, Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided into four rivers. The name of the first one is Pishon. It is the one that has flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onk stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gehan. And it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the, rib of the Lord, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Amen. Well, it's obvious that there are so many great, great parts to this text. In this text, we see God's creation of man and woman in his own image. We see God's mandate that they should have dominion over the land and over the animals and all things. 
We see the establishment of the seventh day to be made holy, that God rested, a prelude to the Sabbath. We see the assignment to Adam, that he is to work and he is to keep the garden. We see God instituting marriage, which he created to glorify himself. My emphasis today will be upon the wonder and the beauty of God's design. First, let us consider the glorious truth spoken in this passage as to what mankind is. In verse 26, we hear God speaking to himself, and he says, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. You see, this this doctrine, this is so foundational, this is so absolutely necessary that if you do not keep this foundation in place, everything else teeters. Everything else kind of shakes if this foundation stone is moved, cracked, or broken. This foundation stone is about God's masterpiece. When he wanted everything else, he just spoke it into existence. Let there be light, let the sun and the moon and let the stars and let the beasts and let the creatures and so forth. But when he wanted to make man, when he wanted to make something in his own image, when he wanted to make this the, the, the tip of creation, when he wanted to make the greatest of all things, he bent down in the ground and with his hands he made a masterpiece. And he formed man out of the dust of the ground. And he shaped him. And then he breathed the very life of God. And those of you who know scripture realize the breath of God is the spirit of God. The breath of God, when it, walks, when it goes over the dry bones, you know, it brings them to life and they become a great army those dry bones that were laying out there. It's the breath of God that came into the room. It sounded like a mighty wind when they were waiting in the upper room in fear. And the breath of God came into the room and tongues of fire fell upon them. You see, he breathed life into man. Man is the epitome of creation. Man is, man is the top. He is all that God intended him to be in this moment. You see, this is so critical to the whole story. The Bible begins with this, with the creation. The very beginnings are all about the creation of man and woman with the intent of what God intended. What did God intend? That he would dwell with them. The scripture tells us that he walked in the garden with them. I don't know what that was like. I don't know what it was like to be Adam and hiding in the garden because now he had sinned and and God was walking in the cool of the day saying, Adam, Adam, and Adam's hiding over here. God created an earthly sanctuary to live with us because we're the apple of his eye. With us because we are so precious to God. With us because when he made us, he made us eternal. He made us forever people. We will be around when the earth continues to be rebuilt by God and when the sun goes out and when the planets fail to shine and when the stars stop, we'll be around still. You see, this infinite God had one fabulous and marvelous thing to make in creation, and it's you and it's me. We are wonderfully made. We are fearfully made. We are God's precious ones. Now, in the story here, right, I used to really uh, sorrow over Genesis 3, which is what we'll be talking about next week. Please come back. Please be here or watch us online. And welcome to those of you watching online. I've never said that before. It feels real weird. (laughs) That's not in the book. But the story is the fall of man. 
And the image of man is marred. The image of man's sin comes in. And all of a sudden, this beauty and this shamelessness and this innocence and this, all of this that God had created, it's marred by sin. And man is scratch and dent material. He's no longer precious the same way. He's, he's now, you know, but the story of redemption, the story of Christ, the salvation through a Savior, God coming to rescue his own to lay his own life down and to rise again. The story of redemption is redeeming the story. It's building back the story. It's making the story new again. We are that life. We are the unique ones on the planet earth who live with God living in us. If we're born again, if we know the living Christ, if we have surrendered our lives to him, then we are this unique people, the church. And you see, the end of the story is God is going to finish the story. I mean, are you thinking about Jesus who said, I will come again when you least expect it? Are you thinking about the Lord Jesus who said, I will certainly come again? Are you thinking about the angels who were looking at the apostles who were watching Jesus at the ascension and the angel said, what are you looking like that for? He's coming again. He will come again in like ways and he will set his foot on the earth and he will rule here and he will reign here and we will reign for him with him forever. You see, that's what he created us for. He made us co-regents. He made us his representatives and his ambassadors. We are to dominate in, in, in the earth. We're to love the creatures, man and all the creatures below that. We are to respect them also as creations of God. You know, William Wilberforce is really famous as a British evangelical because he fought and he gave his life to end slavery in the British Empire. And he went on for decades fighting a fight in parliament that he might become, that he might change the history of the nations and the history of the world by ending slavery, the slave trade. But William Wilberforce was also one of the founders of the Society for the Prevention of the Cruelty to Animals. Why? Because God made them. Because every, every piece that God makes is holy. What God makes is good. In fact, God said, everything I've done is very good. It's very good. The doctrine that states that we are made in his image has everything to do with all of scripture. In Genesis, this description of humanity focuses entirely on Genesis 1. The entire focus of Genesis 1 is that we are made in the image of God. And that we, this is our most essential element. I don't care if you're fat, tall, skinny, your ethnicity is this, your color is that. I don't care if you're 99 years old or if you're a little kid. I don't care in any way what that says. Your identity is this. You are made in the image of God. You are precious to him. You matter to him more than all the rest of the universe. He died to rescue you, to have you, to hold you, to love you, and live with you the rest of eternity. He cares for every hair on your head. Not many left. He doesn't care what has happened to you through time and memorial. I was in two nursing homes this week, and I saw devastated human beings. Many of you go. I saw some human beings that were devastated by time and sickness and sin, and it breaks us down. We are, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed daily. We may be getting older, every one of us, but the inward man is being renewed by the spirit of the living God. And when I look upon that poor man with one leg 
and he's slouched over in his wheelchair, and he's barely conscious, and he's trying to sit outside to get some air, I have to say to myself, this man is made in the image of God. This man is precious to God. Our society is saying, oh, he's a throwaway. Oh, he's worthless. What is he producing? He's a costless entity. Why don't we just let him die? Why don't we just get rid of them, in fact? Society is completely forgotten. And the schools for the children have completely, they're attempting to annihilate the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word is we are made in the image of God. We are precious. We are holy. We are made to be like him. I mean, don't you celebrate being human? Isn't it grand to be a human? Would you rather be a turtle? Would you rather be a frog? How about a caterpillar? Would you like to be that? How about a worm or an insect of some kind? It's grand to be a human being. How about those moments when creativity comes and you go, whoa, that was so awesome. How about those moments when you get vision and dreams? How about those memories that we all have? How about when God reminds us of things and we think thoughts we've never had before? How about the ability to love others? How about the ability to love him? How about the ability to be kind and just and fight for righteousness? How about that we can be like God on the earth? We can't be like him in infinite ways. He's omnipresent. I can't be like that. I'm right here. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. I don't know much at all. I can't be like that. He's infinite. He has always been. He always will be. I'm not like that. But what I can be like by the fruit of the Spirit of God working in me is I can be full of love and joy and peace. And I can practice justice and righteousness and loving kindness. And I can be like Jesus when he walked on the earth and he looked at sinners and he loved them. He loved us. He loves you now and he loved you when you were a rebellious son of a gun. When you shook your fist in God's face, he loved you. And when you said, I don't want to be a Jesus person, he says, I still love him. I still love him. I won't stop loving him. I love him to the end and I've done everything I can to prove this love. That's who we are. All these kids in school, oh, you came up out of the slime. What you are is an extensively uh, developed primate, you know? Yeah, this is what you were. This is what you, yeah, you know, your cousins. These are your cousins here. Yeah, I go to the zoo. They eat their poop. I mean, come on, let's compare apples to apples here. Does history and does reality tell us anything? I mean, we got to be morons. Really? You really think the ape world, you think these guys really are, we're just a little step above them? God says we are just beneath the angels. That's who God says we are. Look at Psalm 139. Look at Psalm 139. I'm skipping a little bit because I'm really out of my mind up here. (laughs) Sorry. Psalm 139. I know people upstairs are scrambling a little bit. (laughs) I skipped. I can read it if you can't. There it is. See, the psalmist got it. You need to get it. And you need to walk in it. You need to have this. This is truth. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they more than number the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Do you see that? Do you see that? How precious. We only need those last two verses. That'll be good. 
Just those last two verses will do. We do. You guys working up the stairs. How precious are God's thoughts towards you. How great is the sum of them. If you could count them, they would more than number the sand. So you look in the mirror and you go, oh, shoot, no hair, wrinkles, getting fat, getting funny, weird, forgetting forgetful, losing value, because God says I should be a celebrity. God says I should look this way. God says I ought to be able to achieve this. And God says, no, you are just as I want you to be. You are made in my image, and I have more thoughts towards you. I love you more than you could ever conceive. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. The poor kids, I'm telling you, I thought of them so much in this message. Because according to science, they're growing up, and what happened was a bunch of chemicals came together. Somehow, this came together, and boom, here we are. Here we are. Look at mankind. Look what he's achieved. Look what he's accomplishing. Is there a little distance between us and the apes? I mean, are we doing a little bit more maybe? Maybe just a little bit more than what they're doing down in the Cleveland Metro Zoo? Look at what we're doing. We're spending safe spacecrafts beyond this galaxy. We're studying things that are so amazing. And what we do, we find design. We find God. We find mystery. We find immense intelligence in all of these things that were made. But of all the things that were made, you are the apple of his eye. You matter more than all that stuff. You will live forever with him if you know Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Christ. Psalm 8. Psalm 8. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes and still the enemy and the avenger. And when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The supreme value of being made in the image of God trumps everything else that you might value in people. Race, class, gender, ability, appearance, beliefs, talents, all that stuff is, is minimal compared to this one thing, that we are made in the image of God. We are his grand masterpiece of creation, and we carry the capacities for these relationships relating to him. He has made us that we can relate to him. Why do we fight for the defense of the unborn? Why do we collect monies to support a Cleveland Pregnancy Center? Why do we fight for life? Because life is made in the image of God. Why do we oppose euthanasia when they want to get rid of the elderly? When they want to just let them die? Because we oppose the destruction of life because life is precious. Why do we, why do we oppose this, this science of making designer babies, of messing around with the genetics? Because... As Christians, we believe this truth that everyone has intrinsic value and that every life deserves to be treated with respect and value. Look at Galatians 3.28. 
Galatians 3.28. See, Jesus came into a world that was so, everybody was measured by different things, by education, by race, by nationality, by ethnicity, by money, by power, by position. That's the world that Jesus came into. And yet you didn't see him treat people based on that. In fact, what you see in Jesus Christ is his respect and the manner in which he dealt with everyone. And Paul has to write this radical letter. This is so revolutionary, it's ridiculous to those that receive the letter. These dudes are sitting in Galatia. They get a letter, they open it up, and they're reading it. And I'm, I'm telling you, people were falling over at what this letter was saying to them. That they could be filled with the Spirit of God, that they could produce these things through the Spirit of God, and then this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Whew! You talk about leveling the playing field. It doesn't, nothing matters. In Christ, we are all one. In Christ, we are all equal. In Christ, we are to respect and love and see the dignity in every person. And we are to see each other as image of God. What a revolution that is. Listen, I taught history for a long time. I'm going to teach you some right now. On your mark, get set, go. It was Christians in the days of Rome that worked to save babies from the government enforced infanticide. When the law in Rome mandated the death of the handicapped, it was the Christians who would run around and scoop these kids off the streets when they were just, just given away, just thrown out to be heaps of garbage. The Christians, why? Because they saw the image of God in those children. It was Christians that pioneered rights for women. Christian women beginning in Rome saw a tremendous increase in prestige and opportunity and freedom, all far beyond anything they had ever experienced in the pagan world. It was the medieval Christian theologians that developed the idea of inalienable rights, those that we hear about in our Constitution. Our Constitution reads this way, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, and among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You see, Wilberforce, that's what he understood from the scriptures. Wilberforce understood it is wrong that human beings are being sold as property. And he began to fight it and fight it. And it's a dark evil. It's a dark evil that's with us today in the world. It was Dr. Martin Luther King in a Birmingham jail who was writing letters saying, it's unchristian how America is. The treatment of people based upon their race is unchristian. And I agree 100%. Bigotry is so unchristian. Racism is so unchristian. We are one. I am one with Cambodian Christians. I am one with Vietnamese Christians. I am one with Ghanese Christians. I am one with those everywhere. All, we are one. And there's no... There's no standing above, and there's no standing below because of Christ, because of Christ. You see, no other culture or civilization has advanced a comparable idea because no other civilization has had the foundation of this truth that we are made in God's image. See, the culture says we're advanced primates. The culture says, well, it's the result of coincidental convergence of atomic particles. Yeah, okay. Yet we see in reality that man is fundamentally different than animals. The implications here that we are made in God's image, 
They're staggering implications. The test of any worldview, as I've stated, is reality. It's reality that we measure worldviews by. What do they think outside of the scriptural? What do they think? How do they see the world? And how do we see the world? See, the reality is man is the supreme creature on the earth. Man dominates. Man needs salvation tremendously in Jesus Christ. Man can do wicked things, but man is this superior creature made in the image of God, empowered by God, given gifts by God. One of the great dangers of history, and we've seen it, we exalt man too high. You know, Pharaoh, emperor, czar, queen. We make these, these human beings into something that God never intended for a man or woman to be lifted to. Idolatry. Idolatry. But the other form of, of debasing man, putting him down, saying that he's this, he's sludge, he came from the sludge, he's nothing but a, he's nothing but a chemical thing that emerged. Over. This is also greatly harmful. This is what we're fighting today. We don't live over here unless we practice idolatry with musicians or sports guys or, or presidents or somebody in power, somebody rich. Our issue is over here. And the church, we, the church, we need to come to a place where we say, no way. When I look in the mirror, I know who I am. I'm made in God's image. I'm made to be like him. And by the spirit of God, I can be like him. I'm going to close here in a moment. You see, it's a grand thing to be human. It's a grand thing to be human. I love being a man. I love it. I think it's great. It's an awesome thing to be said, hey, you got to lead. You got to work hard. You got to provide. You got to protect. You got to show courage when you're scared like a dog. You got to stand up. You have to be an example. You have to love your wife like Christ loved the church. It's a grand thing to be a man. And it's a glorious thing to be a woman. It's a glorious thing to be a woman with the sensitivities which our men don't even get it. We have no idea. With the compassion that they have and the natural affections that they have and the power that they carry to create human beings with God's cooperation, that they bring forth eternal beings, that they are made in the image of God and they are made so much like God that they bring forth life. I don't know what it's like to be a girl. I have no idea. But I know it's a grand thing because women are made in the image of God. And we need to look across these lines of gender and, and fight the curse because the curse said we we're going to fight each other as male and female. And God says to me, no, 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 no. You are all one. All sisters in Christ. All due respect and dignity and love because they're mine. Listen carefully. Hebrews 1. Jesus Speaking of Jesus, you see, we have, a, we have an example to follow. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Man. So fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're, you know, if you're like, man, I'm not living this out, fix your eyes on Jesus. Read his word, read his words, read what he says, look at his life as an example, and then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not only will he be the example, the Holy Spirit will equip you 
You see, when we look, look at 2 Corinthians, by my last scripture here. This is what happens. Okay, now, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, okay, now look around. We all, all of us, with unveiled faces, that is going to God, going into his presence, what we sang about, going before him and looking unto him, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You want to change? Fix your eyes on Jesus. You want to change? Go into that place of his presence. Seek his presence. Seek to be with him. Cry out to him. You see, God's drawn to the humble. That's what, that's, that is a promise. God is drawn to the humble. You humble yourself before God. You get down low, real low. You lay on the floor like this, and you say, God, I am before you. This is the right position before God Almighty. And the promise of God is he's drawn to the humble. So do you think biblically? Do you think according to God's word that you and everyone else are made in the image of God? If we walk that out, if we live this way, God will receive glory as we affect the culture, as we go into our Judeas and Samarias and Jerusalems, as we go. Because the spirit of the living God in us will bring forth a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We ask, Lord, as we close, God, that your word would find rich soil in our hearts. God, that we wouldn't be the same. God, that you would affect us, Lord, change us, Lord, make us new today, and bring forth glory to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to share a prayer, Jack. We're going to share a prayer here that is out on the table. It's a prayer for marriages in our church. We saw in Genesis 2 there that God created marriage, that he instituted it for his purposes. So I've asked my wife Jackie to join me here and just to pray over you guys and to pray over all the marriages. And if you want a copy of this, it looks like this now out on the table, and it might be something that you'd want to pray over your children or your best friends or your own marriage, of course. It goes like this. Lord, I hold this couple before you and ask you for your presence and mercy in their lives. If they do not know you, Lord, reveal your unfailing love to them. 
Teach them to pray together, to trust in you and walk in obedience to your word so that they may have peace and joy in their marriage. We pray that they will be kind and tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another and blessing one another. We pray that they would speak the truth and love and listen well to each other. Draw them into your word that they would be cleansed and receive wisdom for their lives. Give them revelation of your great love towards them and an understanding of how to love each other. Teach him to love his wife like Christ loves the church and teach her to honor and respect him. Surround them with godly counsel. Separate them from those who would seduce them unto ungodliness. Give them godly, loving Christian friends and a church family where they can worship you and grow in your love for one another. Bring forth laborers to minister to them. Forgive them for their selfishness, anger, lust, and foolishness. Put a stop to any blaming and accusing. Help them to look to you as their source of acceptance, healing, justification, and provision. Bring healing to their lives. Comfort them and mend their broken hearts and deliver them from rejection and sorrow. Have mercy on them, Lord. We stand in the gap for them. We resist the enemy on their behalf, and we bind the powers of division, divorce, seduction, rejection, judgment, criticism, addiction, control, self-pity, harshness, unkindness, lying, and deception. And we thank you, Lord, that the blinders are removed from their eyes, and they can see the truth and walk in it. Give them courage and show them how to resist evil. We loose your healing, love, forgiveness, acceptance, favor, harmony, unity, truth, patience, kindness, joy, and faithfulness, and self-control into their lives. Lord, thank you that all things are possible with you. Thank you that you watch over your word to perform it. Thank you for your great and precious promises and your mighty love that covers all. We look forward to seeing your hand at work in their marriage relationship. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.